0: Listening to Come and See, a podcast about reading plays. Dr. Monty Sola Adebayo is a London born theater artist, performer, playwright, producer, facilitator, teacher, and researcher. She's always super clear that her career began as a street rapper in the 1980s, after which she pursued a formalized theater education. Manji Sola trained extensively with Augusto Boal in Theater of the Oppressed, performed at the Theater of the Oppressed Festival in Rio, and taught alongside Augusto Boal in post-apartheid South Africa. She has specialized in theater for social change in areas of crisis for many years now. Uh, she has devised, scripted, and directed over 30 plays with companies like Cardboard Citizens, Clean Break, Mind the Gap, Nitro, many, many others, She's taught theater since 1998 at Goldsmiths University and has also taught for many years courses on the American Theater Arts Program at Rose Bruford College of Theater and Performance in Southeast London, where I was fortunate enough to study for a short time. She's currently a lecturer at Queen Mary, and she was admitted as a Fellow of the Royal Society of Literature in 2018. Her most recently published work, Place 2, was released in March of 2020. What else is there to say about Manji Solo Adebayo? She's a really brilliant writer. I feel like in America we there's simply not enough awareness of her as a writer. So I'm really excited to talk about her today. Uh, it's very personal for me. She is the reason that I'm a, that I want to be a playwright and that I that I aspire to write. I was fortunate enough to be able to take her class uh, many years ago at this point. It was called performing the self, and it centered on how to construct autobiographical work and memoir work into theatrical form. Uh, she's she's so inspirational. I had never written anything up until that point, except for the the, <laughs> the fake or the, the screenplays that I wrote when I was in like middle school and stuff. Uh, but for theater, no, I'd always assumed that I'd be a director or an actor or do something like that. And uh, in that class, I wrote the first little piece of writing that I ever did that was meant to be performed as a piece of theater. And it just totally changed me and my approach to uh, what what theater means, is, and does. She's a transformative individual. Anybody who's worked with her will tell you the same thing. They, she's just got this really impeccable sense of love for other people and love for stories and she's very big on blurring the lines between identities as we'll see in the work that we get into today and because of that she's just this incredible human nobody's more human than Manji Salah she would most likely (laughs) she's very humble she's an extremely humble lovely person there are lots of um Uh, There's not lots. There's a couple interviews, though, online, and her speech when she uh, accepted uh, an honorary degree from Rose Bruford online, which I recommend you check out. I'll put in the description there. Um, But her work speaks for itself, so we're just going to go ahead and get into that pretty quickly today. She's remarkable. The thing I want to talk about first, though, actually is that this week marks the one-year anniversary of police entering Breonna Taylor's home in the middle of the night, executing a very suspicious search warrant, and killing her in her sleep. Uh, there's there's still a lot of work to be done. There's still a lot of people working to make that happen, and there's organizations that are still going very, very strong, even if media tension has uh, gone elsewhere. I'm going to be highlighting mainly the two organizations directly connected to this particular issue uh, for this week's episode. One is uh, the Louisville Bail Fund, which I'm going to be including in the description. I, I strongly recommend that people donate to that. And then the second one is the Louisville Community Grocery, which is a really great organization. A couple weeks ago, my friend Allie came on the podcast and she talked a little bit about that. Go see the uh, For Colored Girls Who Committed Suicide When the Rainbow Is Enough episode from a couple weeks ago. Strongly recommend. She's a great woman. And, uh, yeah, so th- those are the things I want to highlight this week. Now we're going to get into the episode. Thank you so much for listening, and uh, we'll see you at the end. I am so excited to talk about these plays. No one does it like Manji Solo Adebayo. No one. I mean, she does this really remarkable thing, which if you um, look at uh, the second wave feminist movement of the 60s, one really popular phrase that comes out of that time is, the personal is political. Now, if you don't have a... uh man, what a weird conversation. If, you, if you're not a member of a group that has been oppressed politically, that can be a little bit more difficult to understand. But fortunately, uh, we have Magisela Adebayo to walk you through that. She is just got this really, really remarkable way of returning to themes that are so personal to her, and it starts really in this this first set of works you have here, which contain most of what I believe is most of her uh, memoir work. Now, I'm 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 going to be honest; I haven't read Place Two. It is on the way. I have it uh, in my Amazon. Um, I ordered it with my Stimmy, so I am going to be getting it soon. And it has some of her more recently critically acclaimed work in it. This one contains a rather specific set of types of plays. Um, so it's really great to get and read through beginning to end. I mean, I read this all in a week. She's, she's got a <laughs> remarkable way of telling stories. Which, at this point, this almost sounds trite, but you're genuinely unlikely to find anywhere else. She's uniquely informed by her experience. And that and 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 that should be, I think, really encouraging to writers because nobody but Maji Sola could have written these plays. And I don't think anybody could write the play that they would anybody else could write the play but the one that they would write. I'm gonna show you what I mean a little bit. But the thing that... Because we're going to walk through each of these plays and we're going to kind of see how she is circling the drain on a couple of ideas that is, are just, just really, really wonderfully articulated. The first of which I'll just say outright is finding yourself in history, is finding your place in history. Most of these plays have a consistent theme of taking something, a historical event of some kind and making something kind of ahistorical. ...happen within it, usually involving somebody's particular identity. I think that's best personified in the first play here, which is Maj of the Antarctic, An African Odyssey. So, uh, it, it, it's <laughs> really indicative of her style, and it's a really lovely way to get introduced to her work, because uh, it, it just shows you her the kind of thing that she's going for, and the big kind of overall picture... Of where her career is headed, and you also see really strongly in this one her influences from working with Theater of the Oppressed. Theater of the Oppressed is a theater company founded by well, it's a theater uh, school uh, founded by Augusto Boal in Rio in Brazil, and it it, it pioneered several forms of theater. Uh, the most popular one that is recognizably like that came from there is something that's called forum theater. Which, if in the, the strictest sense, requires a lot of audience participation, and that you'll have you'll see a scene acted out, and then audience suggestions will uh will render the scene once more with different effects, which is kind of interesting. And it's all about because the the, the main goal of theater of the press is social change, is really showing you um the 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 nature of systems and the ways in which um people. Trying are trying to escape them is usually the most effective way that those stories play out. Uh, it's a really cool, I mean, I absolutely love it. I'm currently reading the book right now. I should have read it a long time ago, but I'm working my way through it at the moment. And it's really interesting. I highly recommend that book too. Theater of the Oppressed to anybody who writes theater, mainly because it starts with, it, it walks you through the entire history of the way theater has been deconstructed for a long time and shows you just plainly what academic theater looks like and then kind of shows you the ways in which it can be undermined. It's pretty cool. Um, but a lot of her influences can be seen super, super clearly in this play. So the main thing I'm talking about here is the way in which, uh, you know, so she, she talks a lot about black experience and really globalizes it because she talks often about American and English racism and different ways of things Um, The ways in which they are different and the ways in which they are the same. And she goes, but she goes fundamentally global. She's off talking about uh, polar (laughs) areas. There's this other one, which I'll talk about here in a minute, which is Matt Henson North Star, where they go to the North Pole. And this one, they go to Antarctica. She's the first black, the true story: Maggi Sola is the first black woman to ever do a theater performance of any kind in Antarctica. Pretty cool. But she takes her experience, one that has traditionally. Uh, been marginalized and not articulated in storytelling in traditional storytelling and places it smack dab in the center of history, right? So she takes her own story and applies it to a historical story and places herself in the middle of it. So the main character's name is Modge, which is her nickname. Uh, she goes by Modge to two people all the time, evidently. And the main character is based on... So it is based on a true story. So it's based on the, the story of Ellen Craft, who is a slave who escaped slavery in the late uh, eight, uh, 19th century by uh, dressing as a man, dressing as a white man, passing as a white man. So Maji Sola takes that story and further pushes it by queering the characters a little bit more. So she, she push, pushes Ellen's gender transgression into uh, her being also a lesbian and there's a a love story about between two slaves one of whom is teaching the other one to write and that blows up in horrific fashion and then Modge the character of Modge dresses as a man and escapes to Antarctica which is so interesting why would you go there her poetry is why you go there She does this, she's got a really remarkable way of threading the needle on these ideas. But first, I do want to talk about the way in which Theater of the Oppressed reflects this work. First of all, one woman performance. So there's a, there's like, uh, let's see here. There's actually, it tells you how many characters are there. There are, uh, well, it just says performer. Yeah. But there are there are tons of characters, and she plays them all. And I've seen her perform uh, before, and she's just got a really remarkable sense of physicality and voice, and she can just become other people. And that in itself becomes a commentary on um, identity and what it really means to even have one. So uh, it's, it's remarkable about the way in which, in which all these things are connected. But I do want to highlight a couple points at which she is using the kind of form theater, directly engaging with the audience, so that they understand their role as a spectator and the fact that they are there, present with the performer. There's this there's this section uh, where uh, this this um, Marge's character is uh, speaking, doing kind of a monologue poem thing. And it becomes very clear that she's talking directly to the audience and not in, a, in an exactly abstract way. So there's this section that goes, If the world is a globe, there's no above, no below, no north or south, no heaven or hell. No white or, parentheses, she prompts audience member to respond. Black. No male or, she prompts audience to respond. Female. No god or, she prompts audience member to respond. Devil. Magic. <laughs> magic is a line in the play, but it is a magic moment. It's cool to see like the 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 you know, uh, you see people all the time who complain about plays that require audience participation and I totally understand why. It's because often people that are doing that don't know what that is for and how it should really be used and it's ineffective and it's uncomfortable and cringy and weird. When it's a bit more minimalist like that, it's easier to stomach. But the fact of the matter is, theater as a medium requires audience participation. It requires somebody to watch it. If you just do a play in an empty theater with nobody sitting in the audience, you've not done a play, you've done a rehearsal. Like, there's nobody there to, what is that? It's not a play. So it, it requires a spectator, it requires somebody to engage with it with their mind. It requires a viewer in order for it to be a whole thing. And Majisola is keenly aware of that in her writing. And that's the way this thing plays through. So, at the end of the day, this play, Maj of the Antarctic and African Honesty, the thing that I think is really beautiful about the idea of this play is, is I know, I'm going to use the word threading the needle a lot today for some reason, but really taking the idea from beginning to end of pain and the way in which trauma is outlasted by beauty. That's the way of saying it. Uh, she, she finds really, really remarkable beauty hiding behind the pain, almost like a, a weakness. Is it actually just the downside of a strength kind of thing? I'll give you, for instance, for what I mean. How does Antarctica connect to the story of an African slave, and, and, and how does that all connect well, she shows you through this play this idea of it's, it's, it's about the African diaspora. It's about the way in which uh, Antarctica, much like the African diaspora, was fatally and tectonically separated from its home because, you know, during Pangea, Antarctica would have been connected to Africa. Uh, and now it is less than a shadow of the thing that it could have been I mean, it's, Antarctica is a wasteland, nothing, nothing grows there, but uniquely beautiful and powerful and important in itself. It, it, it's, 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 am, it's amazing the way in which he's able to talk about landscapes and poetry and these very general abstract ideas to tell a very specific story about the, the, the beauty of being seen as a whole person. Uh, so, yeah, I fucking love this play. It's very smart, it's, it's, it's... Her plays are hard to read, I'll be honest. They're poetry, I mean, it's like reading poetry most of the time. They're, they're, they're intently written to be performed, and they, they take a lot of inspiration from dance and African traditional storytelling. All of the narrators, anytime there's a narrator in a story, they're referred to as a griot, which is a West... African traditional storyteller so she's got clearly this very strong influence for the nature of her form that connects directly to the themes that she is presenting It's interesting also how uh, at the beginning of this play she mentions that it is a choreo poem that's in the style of a choreo poem uh, much like Intezaki <laughs> um, uh, Shange's genre uh, which we talked about a little bit during for colored girls who commit suicide when the rainbow is enough weeks ago second time call back to that episode this week but right next to that play i want to talk about the another one that's in this book at the end it's called matt henson north star it, it is similar in some ways it reminded me a lot of uh Maj of the antarctic uh but it, it is slightly different in its own way it's got a very unique style to it i would love to see this performed i'm very interested in what this would be like actually on its feet It's amazing how uh, this whole thing rhymes. It's all in verse. She's just got a beautiful way with poetry and storytelling. This play is actually about Matthew Alexander Henson, who was an African-American and arguably the first explorer to reach the North Pole. And then it takes it to a further distant fantasy from there, which ends up being really striking when you get the whole thing in your head. So it's, it's set during uh, the, in the, the moments leading up to Matt Henson realizing that he has already reached the North Pole and he's likely the first person ever to reach the North Pole. There's this Inuit woman named Akatenwa who is with him and it tells the story of their relationship a little bit and then from there, it just gets cuckoo bananas. <laughs> like it gets, it it blows up and you get historical figures and fictional historical figures coming in and having a conversation. And all of this is set against this vaudevillian backdrop set with uh, this Weather Woman MC who is uh, <laughs> bookends the play a little bit. In my mind, Maji Solo would play the Weather woman it feels like it was written to be fun to play i mean the the this the story is is intense and will definitely leave you staring at a wall but if you're a theater maker when you're looking at this play you're like i know how we do that oh i know how we would do that I, I need somebody to produce Matt Henson, North Star. I'm, I'm fascinated by it. She does a lot of these kind of a cappella musicals, so uh, they're, they're, they're often sing, singing to each other the whole time. It's so hard to describe her plays without just telling you all of the action of them, but I'll talk a little bit about kind of the, the idea of it, which is it gets into this really interesting bit of intersectionality and the intersections of identity and the ways in which oppression compiles and compounds so matt henson is a black american man who is an assistant to this explorer in this play and at the beginning of the play kind of starts with him leaving him sort of behind and, you know, everything starts spiraling from there, and they start digging into the conversation that way, which is all poetry. I mean, not just any poetry. It's all rhyming. Everything, everything rhymes throughout this whole play. But uh, so he, he talks about his struggles and his, his, his pain, um, and you're, you're really empathizing with it and getting into the roots of who this guy is. And then all of a sudden, Kalingwa, uh, this woman, has this contrasting moment. With that, which comes right after it, um, and and her line goes: Acadianois, Negro, Eskimo, men are men, here, there, everywhere. We were a clan of two hundred and thirty-four. We didn't know there were any more on the earth until the white man came. They said we were savages, but we saw they were just the same. Man is man. She goes on further, but it's really interesting how uh, clear. Maji Sola's understanding of identity is and what that means for her characters and the ways in which um, they perceive things in her plays so uh, they they go on uh, their experience together uh, and then she sends him sort of on this journey to find a shaman there's a lot of tragic things that they're talking about here that I'm kind of glossing over but uh, she sends him on this journey to find a shaman and on this journey, he uh, meets uh, all of these different uh, characters from history and from fiction. I mean, you've got Vesta Tilly, you've got Frankenstein, you've got Alude, uh, 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 Equiano. Uh, there's all these different famous people from, from history that she incorporates into this play. And it's just another example of her mapping modern understanding of race and gender and social constructs onto these historical stories and will do it in a, she blends fiction into it further to demonstrate the ideas and the way that they're going to play out. Because we understand that it's a play. We understand that it's a story. She gives a lot of credit to her audience where it is due. And uh, reading this play is just, it's almost like a lullaby. And that's what I was writing when I was talking about it in my little journal that I do, is that it feels like she's almost lulling you into the story. Both of these, Maja the Arctic and Math Henson North Star, um, have have some somewhat similar themes going on with them and are told in this very lyrical, kind of all-encompassing theater type of way. And they, they both really are gentle to you I know that it is is, you're talking about some really brutal, horrific things from history but what Manji Sola does is she makes them um, inhabitable and and makes the, the conversation that's necessary to have around the way our history informs our current conception of these things significantly more, for lack of a better way of saying it, consumable uh, she, she, it's, these plays are still a hug. They're a tight hug, and they're gonna squeeze some thoughts out your brain. But nonetheless, she's gonna hold you and lull you into it. She understands. She understands that these issues are incredibly difficult and that many people have different experiences and different reactions to this type of story, these things that are happening in these stories which will change their relationship to the work and change their ability to understand and, and internalize the work. And in that way, I, I consider her a very generous writer. She loves her audience. I mean, she really does. You see it in both of these plays, too, in the ways in which uh, she and the actors engage with the audience. There's, there's, it, it's humorous and, 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 and inviting. And that's the way that the play is written. I mean, don't get me wrong. There's a lot of writers I love who have incredible disdain for their audience. (laughs) But I will say those things are difficult to consume. And Maji Sola takes these things that feel very personal and come cut to the core often of people's true identities, their true sense of self, and does it while, while that person will welcome that based on the story that she's giving them. I've never seen people respond to work about identity in the way in which I see people respond to Manji Sola's work, and I think that's because she has this really unique sense of what it means to be an audience member and what it means to be engaged with a play on an intellectual level, on on a physical presence level, and she incorporates that into all of her work. So, uh, Modge of the Antarctic and Matt Henson, North Star. Is it just because they're set in a polar landscape? I don't know. But, But in my mind, they occupy different ends of a similar spectrum of type of play, which has got this kind of historical... Mm, oh, I hate the phrase magical realism. Can we dump that? Can we dump that completely? Because there's not magic, well, there's a little bit of magic happening in Matt Henson North Starwood with Frankenstein showing up and giving his little monologue. Uh, but it's... it's <laughs> God, I love theater. So, uh, Maji Sola, much like most of the writers I really respect and really enjoy the work of, it can't be really uh, pinned down for doing the same thing twice. They're, they're still very unique in their own way. I mean, on a basic level, Maja the Antarctic requires one actor to play many characters, and then you have uh, Matt Henson, North Star, which is likely going to have one person to one voice, and then those people are going to start making up the chorus of it. Uh, but they're still very unique in that way. Um, and then you get these other two plays that are in the same book here, which is Desert Boy and Muhammad Ali and Me, which kind of occupy a different style, a different push. I mean, it's still recognizably her. It feels a lot like Maji Sola, but it, it, it is different. It does feel different than those plays to me. So uh, Desert Boy is the one that I'm going to look at next. Desert Boy is actually referred to as uh, Desert Boy, a musical play with acapella singing and movement. This one... Takes place At first, it seems like it takes place in, in no real place. That's going to be a pure metaphor kind of Samuel Beckett-type thing, and maybe it's a dream play, maybe it's a death play. You don't really know, but because if you're familiar with Maji Sola's work, uh, you, you you might suspect like, oh, this is like a very otherworldly thing where where we're looking at these characters in their roles as opposed to like thinking of them as real people. And then by the end, she really unwinds the knot for you to, to, to understanding these as fully fleshed out characters. I mean, it's interesting because when you read the play, the characters don't have names. The main characters you're looking at are Soldier Boy and Desert Man. There's a really great interview with her where she talks about this, and most of the times when playwrights do that, it is to accomplish a particular task, which is to get you to focus on that character's role as opposed to like anything else about their identity, like their name, their given gender identity, whatever it may be. Uh, and that's definitely what she's, she's doing here. Uh, you, you start the play with uh, this teenage uh, boy, this uh, uh, it describes him as a small African-Caribbean male youth from South London turning 16 years old. He stumbles onto the stage with a knife in his stomach, and this man, referred to as Desert Man, uh, comes along and helps him out. The, the soldier boy is extremely uh, reluctant, reticent, to accept any kind of help from him, but ultimately he yanks the knife out and then it describes it as happening in the action text on a beach in Dartford, which is in, uh, De- excuse me, Deptford. Not Dartford, that's very different. In Deptford Beach, 2009. Um, and it's it, there's a lot of sand everywhere described the entire time, which I looked at pictures of the initial production. No, they don't use sand to cover the whole stage because I'm sure somebody in the theater complained uh, put real sand on the stage for this, and watch the magic happen. There's so much cool stuff you could do if you just covered the stage in real sand. And I bet you, I bet you, although Magisola is not going for any kind of fourth wall realism, psychological fly on the wall, like you're you're an active spectator that is is watching a a, a, a painting play out before you, definitely. But having real sand there to do all the things that she's asking sand to do throughout the play would have been really cool. Not that you can't accomplish it in a very abstract type of way, but it would just be cool to, to do a lot of things with. You could have people laying under that sand and enter from just rising up from underneath of it. It kind of calls for that at one point. But I looked at pictures of the initial production and they didn't do that. I'm, I'm sure it was incredible. Nitro Theater is a very cool theater, so it may have been fantastic. Um, it got great reviews. Uh, so, uh, the, the, this, this man, uh, Desert Man, who the play describes as a tall, mature African male from Mali. He is poetic, something of a philosopher, though he often lacks practical sense and emotional intelligence. He is romantic and prone to being melancholy. It goes on. Uh, and uh, he he takes soldier boy kind of magically transforms the world into his African village in Mali, and he takes uh, soldier boy through a bit of his heritage and a bit of a story of his history and it 's really, really drawing you you she slowly starts to pull you down this rabbit hole um this one and Muhammad Ali. Uh, both, I'll talk about this more in Muhammad Ali and Me, but both have this really cool thing that they do, which is, uh, even after you're done consuming the play, you think about it like, what What happened in Desert Boy? Oh, it was the story of this kid named Soldier Boy, who gets stabbed in the stomach, and he gets tasted on the journey by this desert man, maybe he's dead, maybe he's not, and then we'll get to the end. But then it, it goes on. And... You, you, The thing that she does so well is she tells... This is also fully Desert Man's story. She's so good at giving every character all the lines that they need and all the time that they need on stage for them to get fully fleshed out. Um, Desert Man, you, you see Desert Man's story, too, from beginning to end. You see his whole life kind of journey. And yes, it, it is a, about what that means to Soldier Boy and what that means to his character. But it, it, it's it's so cool to see two plays, <laughs> two complete full stories with their own structure and their own arc, kind of spliced between each other and inform each other until they become this one image together by the end. So you you get all of these different stories about. History. You have a very active chorus in this one, which makes a lot of sense because there are a lot of characters and there's a lot of a cappella singing. I wish I knew what some of this sounds like. I think that uh, it's non-prescriptive. The idea is that you create it together. It's a, a blueprint to devising part of this work, if you will. She's very insistent that things be theatrical. You won't be able to mistake Amaji solo play uh, for being too psychologically realistic. Although, I mean, this is the thing that people don't understand sometimes about what theater makers mean when they are either averse to psychological realism or they're not interested in it, they don't want to do it. Well, that doesn't mean, or, you know, and Majisola, I'm sure, has her own uh, reasoning behind this, but it, it doesn't mean that you don't tell real stories. Like, all of her plays, and this one especially, tell pretty historically accurate stories. Desert Boy is more fiction, but it is based on events that were important happening in London at that time. There was uh, this great rise in youth stabbings and people, young boys getting stabbed. Um, it was a, a big issue. So this Desert Boy is a direct response to that, this tangible thing that's happening out in the world, and also bleeds into African history a little bit. But the other three do tell specific, true stories, but its goal is not to... Trick is the wrong word. It's a little bit of a mean word just to to realism, but it's not trying to be like, wow, that looked just like it looked when that happened to me, or or wow, that looked like it was really happening to those people. She's not interested in that, or she's not writing that into the play for you to do. She's insisting that you make it theatrical. You don't have an option but to pick up this play and do it in a theatrical way. Uh, which is which is just fun, and again it 's so epic. most of these plays take me like two days to read, which is long because most plays you can read in like an hour and a half setting but uh, it's 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 dense there, there's so much that happens and so much that go that goes on. so you get um, you you as he's taking as Desert man is taking him back through uh, his own history and uh, his own story, you start to get memory scenes from Soldier Boy's perspective and what was leading up to uh, the him getting stabbed. And the thread that's connecting this whole play together is is she does this amazing thing where she pulls this thing out from behind an image that you, you you didn't expect to see or, further, that you can't get from just knowing the concept. Like, I've told you the concept now of what they're doing in Desert Boy, but you don't see... The what she's what ideas she's pulling through until you get all the words and you get all the ideas through to the very end. Um, Through Soldier Boy's memories, you're starting to see his involvement in a a gang that is the things things are happening there, and you also are looking at uh, Desert Man's uh, history and the ways in which he has been identified. And uh, the 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 thread she's really pulling there is the ways in which. We've criminalized people's identities. We we've we've made it criminal to be a certain type of person, uh, and it's 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 convicting and it's striking because it's looking at a lot of things. I would be really interested in what. Desert Boy would play out like to an American audience especially if you if you slightly adjusted it so he was an American teenager although you know it would it, it's I always think that you should take English plays and set them with English people in America because The ways Americans consume British media is really interesting. We're a lot better at picking out the problems (laughs) when it feels like it's a culture that's a little bit next to ours and not quite the same as ours. But I would be really interested to see how Americans, given the circumstance of our carceral system, would respond to this particular play. There's so much potential for staging here and so much to flesh out with production with people's bodies and spaces because of the way in which she calls in movement for all of her plays this one it it gives you space to grow and work in it gosh i want to see it i want to see it so bad but it carries you through this story. I think it's really important. I don't want to, you know, again, I'm trying not to spoil these because I really, really want people to pick up this book and read all of these plays. I think it's really important with Desert Boy to talk about the ending and the way that it ends because you're basically thinking this whole time that he's dying, that Soldier Boy's been stabbed, and he's kind of seeing his life flash before his eyes or something, and... It's just like, I think this play would be very different if Soldier Boy had died at the end. If it had ended with his death, like the intention of what... Because I've said, Majisul is so aware of what she's trying to get from the audience and the emotional invocation that she is expecting from them. She knows kind of... what what, what is what is What is Soldier Boy at the end of the play dying? What would that do? That would look like the audience... Seeing the the tragic death of another young black man, just like we do all the time, and things don't fucking change, so showing you that again, I think manji Sola is intently aware that that would do absolutely nothing other than uh fucking. <laughs> Make pornography out of uh, tr- of tragedy again, as you see people do all the time. I mean, like we're people are really sick of this story that we already know uh, being being the the idol that we're looking at. It's just so awful. Um, and the only reason I know that is in light of the fact of this the way this play actually ends, which is. Full of tremendous joy which he lives, you do all of a sudden get grounded in a real world that's really happening, where there's a real story of this kid who has been stabbed by his friends slash gang members because this this situation was going down Um, and he survives and then at the end, the very last thing you see, in fact I will read it to you here it's this last scene, so you've had this big, you know, typical thing near the end of a play. You get a big monologue, you get a thesis statement, you get a moment where you're kind of driving the emotion into people and stuff, and you get this this wrap-up, this moment where the play feels like the play could probably end. And it, for all intents and purposes, it kind of is that, but it's important to note that they don't say the end until after this, but... uh it says, Closing Dance. Soldier Boy performs Desert Man's Rite of Passage, a celebratory dama dance with percussion and songs from the show. He's dressed in indigo robes, university mortarboard on his head, and holds a degree certificate. The end. It's, oh, thank God. I mean, she just, there's two different realities that could be, and you could show them either of you them to your audience to be like, this is what the future could be. Either of those endings, the one that's there, or him dying is an ending, which looks at your audience and goes, this could happen, you know? And, my God, it makes so much more sense to end with joy, to end with, with life and, and hope that things actually do and can get better. Why else do a play? Why else do a story about people struggling with something if not for the fact that you believe it will do something? Right? And all of the choices in all of her plays do that. Maji Sola believes in theater, she believes in art, and she believes in people. She wouldn't make this art otherwise. It's just so remarkable. And I think looking at the specific ways in which she does that and the, the ways that might seem a little bit obvious, um, is really important, because if you don't state the obvious, sometimes you're going to miss it. And that <laughs> is important. God, I love this play. All of these I want to see really bad. Desert Boy, I need somebody to do that. And I need somebody to connect, contextualize that in America. Because I think it is, it is widely applicable. It's, it's, very, it's got a lot going on for it. So, and finally, I've got one more that I want to talk about here. Um, and uh, this, this is not the order that the plays are actually in. If you get her book, Plays One... Um, this one's actually the second one. I think they're they're listed chronologically in the order that she actually wrote them. But uh, this one... I started this play so that people would read plays other than the big popular ones. But sometimes there's a reason it's popular. So she's got this one play in this book, and it's called Muhammad Ali and Me. And it is probably her most well-known work up until... Uh 2015 16 when she came out with some of her more recent work, like I Stand Corrected and The Interrogation of Sandra Bland, uh, which are both in her place too, which again is on the way for me. I ordered it with my STEMI. Um <laughs> and uh they're really they're they're really great. Uh but this one is probably her most well-known work, the one that got a lot of critical acclaim. I might be wrong about that now. I don't live in in London, so I don't know what people are saying there, but uh, Muhammad Ali and Me was big talk of the town when it came up, and it's her most personal play. It's it's the one that kind of defines this style of performing the self, which is the name of the class that I took with her. Um, It is a memoir play. It does strongly center her own story and her own experience it is still a little bit fictional she talks a lot in her class about the need for distancing when you're when you're presenting work to other people she talks sometimes about uh the way that art artists don't don't think about what putting yourself on display does to you psychologically and from a mental health perspective that the way you reflect on establishing your identity in front of other people and being like, this is my identity, people, look at me here. And then when you look back in five years, you realize that might not be the same thing or literally any number of things that might be going on with you being unable to articulate yourself so perfectly that when you you look at it, it feels inadequate. I, I remember that sticking with me so well and that when you're writing about yourself and you're writing about real events, at least this is what she does. This is her strategy, is she distances herself ever so slightly from it so that we can understand that it is a version of ourselves. You're 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 not gonna do the real thing. You're 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 gonna you can try and maybe somebody someday somebody will. Anytime you tell somebody that you, you can't do it, you just mean until you do it well. <laughs> so maybe somebody can do it well. where they do it Super explicitly, um, there's and there's an artist named Kim Noble who did the most disturbing piece of theater I've ever seen, and I have no idea how much of that was true and how much he did did, did that just for the show. I mean, he was the OG shit poster of theater. Like, goddamn, uh, <laughs> you can still find a lot of his work on YouTube. He's very very weird. Kim Noble. He did this play called "You Are Not Alone," um, and it was it was it, it seemed to be. Somewhat uh, of a of a memoir of himself, but my goodness, I don't know how much of that was was real. <laughs> totally different thing. It's a little bit of a tangent, but uh, it, Majisola has a specific strategy because she is talking about her history, her trauma, and the things that she grew up with and dealt with. So the name main character's name is Majitola, as opposed to Majisola. So th- that. Little simple thing of changing the one letter of the name to something else clues us in that this is clearly this person, but it is just a version of this person. Again, you've got this very theatrical, very, uh, um, you know, theater of the oppressed kind of style going on here. You have a lot of uh, characters being played by just a handful of actors. Uh, the structure is just fascinating, though. So it tell, tells the story of, of, um, of this, this girl named Majitola, who is a black South Londoner of mixed Nigerian and Danish heritage. Uh, the play says is imaginative and excitable and afraid. The same actor also plays Muhammad Ali, boxing legend and political activist of the 1960s and 70s. Uh, so the the basic story, it's, it's easy to get into, is that Majisola, uh excuse me, Majitola, the character, is brought into a foster home as his her father goes back to Africa, and she is raised by this woman who is patently racist, as is people all around her, and she experiences just this kind of intense... Racism uh, that severely starts to crowd in on the corners of her identity. And it's really interesting to watch that character confront that. Like, knowing that there's racism in the world is very different from confronting the nature of it. And seeing this very tangible effect of this very tangible situation in which racism is super present is is very informative for an audience member and the character for just what's going on in the world and, and what page we need to get on as to what's happening so ultimately, as Machitola is spending time in this uh, foster home, she uh, is uh sexually assaulted by the son of the owner of that uh, of the the foster home and she's uh summarily ignored for for her for her concerns about that thing, and when it happens, she becomes Muhammad Ali and in a and in a very interesting way because you're you're watching theater, right? so you're already watching people pretend to be something other than what they are, and so when Majitola becomes Muhammad Ali, you're not sure if just now you're seeing the story of Muhammad Ali play out or if Maji is, like, becoming Muhammad Ali as a defense mechanism. Like, what exactly is going on? Like, do the the foster people see her as Muhammad Ali now? Like, what's happening? Uh, the reality is both. <laughs> both are kind of happening through it, especially depending on how you stage it. I'm willing to bet you could strengthen that choice uh, with, with staging necessarily. But, uh, again, much like... Uh, uh, Desert Boy, you get t- these two stories of these two men where one is informing the other with their story itself. You get the same exact thing, but you get the story of Muhammad Ali and his career specifically, like his journey through the peak of his career and the what he was doing and what he was saying. This particular play is more heavily annotated than probably any other play I've ever read. Uh, there's a lot of history and there's a lot of directly pulled lines throughout the play um i think this one has the long uh yeah i mean so so does so does *Marge of the antarctic and african odyssey that has a lot of annotations and pulled lines but there are a lot more from muhammad ali and me because muhammad ali most of his lines are just things that muhammad ali said and she's able to string through all of these different characters in both her personal life and and connect them with characters and, well, mostly the situation of Muhammad Ali and the things that he was talking about and advocating for and expressing, uh, and the way that that speaks so directly to this young girl's life who lives a million miles away and yet feels so uniquely connected to him. And you watch her uh, grow up, and develop and go through a lot of different stuff. And you watch, essentially, the twilight years. Twilight years is a weird word. Uh, probably mean to say just the waning years of Muhammad Ali's career because he he loses several times in a row here, and then you see one line of his Parkinson's uh, struggle, they don't focus on that much, although it is an important element of the story, just like the fact that this happened to him uh, but it it it's one line you see her imitate the symptoms of parkinson's disease for one line. I think it's a really brilliant little touch because to inject the idea that that happened to this man is really important for the underlying thing that's like happening with Manji Sola's later life maturity and development and what it means to be past something and in something at the same time I mean Manji Sola ends the play as a 40 year old woman which is I imagine about how old she was when she was performing and writing this play Um, and so to see somebody's life you both get the things that they they did learn from something they're They did learn from their trauma and the things that they grew and developed on. And then you get this next layer of understanding that they still have a lot of life to live. And what does it mean now that you've reflected on that moment? I think that's so important for autobiographical work in general. But all, but especially for theater. I mean, the, she's not alone in, in doing autobiographical work. You'll see other other plays that are about the lives specifically of the playwright. And I think too often, and, I, and I've said this in another episode, though, but playwrights just want an answer. Like, they just want to give a really clear... They think that the way to do something that is, like, good and important and other people will look at it and say that's good and important is if they have, like, a new, clear answer... And these people are mining their lives for some kind of shred of truth that they can, like, culminate on and put a button on in some way and say, that's my memoir. Where Maji Sola, on the other hand, and writers like her, really dig into the fact of what it means that they are looking back at this moment in life. You get the, these moments at the end of a lot of these plays where it's not just like, "And that's what I learned in my childhood," or "That's what I learned." This. That's what I learned in my life. It, they, what feels a lot more honest and generous and humble and interesting is that's what I've learned so far, and I don't know what's next. But what I've learned so far has <laughs> given me enough gas in my engine. To move forward and that's what's really remarkable about her plays she 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 makes you feel seen even though even though i don't I'm, i don't have these experiences that these characters have i am not experienced the uh the, the types of oppression that these characters have experienced but they 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 reach out to me and pull me in in a way that makes me feel like my, my struggles are valuable. The things that I'm dealing with are super valuable and, and make me into something that is another step from where I am, that is another layer on top of who I am. So, I just feel so comforted by her plays, honestly. It feels really good to read them and get to the end and think and consider them to yourself. This week's recommendation is the whole book. Damn it, buy the book. Plays 1 or by Plays 2. There's a couple of really cool plays in that one that I'm super excited to read. I will be covering it here in the future. So get that one as well. Buy them both. She deserves it. Great, great plays. All right. And that's the end of the episode this week. Thank you so much for listening. I really appreciate that. She's She's a really phenomenal writer. And if you've never heard of her, if you've never read a play... Gotta pick it up. It's great, great work. Because people, people need to produce that. Read it, get ideas, make good theater, do good stuff, all that jazz. Um, thank you so much for joining me today and talking a little bit about plays. You can follow me on Twitter at sean dance or on Instagram as well, s dance fan, and I'll include that in the description. Um, but yeah, thank you for joining me. I really appreciate it. You take care and you have a great day.